Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. I am here with Tony Jones. We're going to talk about uh, a variety of things across the NBA. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks walking out uh, yesterday. We're going to talk about the league restarting seemingly this weekend. We're going to talk about uh, the NBA draft at some point because Tony and I love talking about the NBA draft. But uh, before then, as someone who is also in the process of trying to lose weight, I got to say, Tony, you are an inspiration to us all uh, with the amount that you have done to uh, to transform your body uh, over the course of the last little while. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I, I first of all, I love um, I love podcasting with you, Brad. So um, you know, it was funny because like when you texted me uh, last night and we were like, "Let's get on the pod," and I was like, "I don't really feel like it, but." It's you, right. so I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, right. And like, honestly, like I even asked you, I was like, look, man, like, do you want to talk about this shit? Because yeah. like, I'm very cognizant of just like asking people like, look, are you willing to talk about this? Right. Um, like I always want to ask, like, I don't just want to assume that, you know, frankly, like a black man wants to talk about these issues in a public forum like this. You know what I mean? Right. 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 Exactly. And and those are issues that need to be talked about. And I'm just, you know, I'm just really, you know, I was really glad to hear from you. But, um, yeah, as far as my body, man, I mean, you know, I, it's been a really long journey. And it's been something that I've wanted to do for, for years. And, um, honestly, the, I, had, I had the time because of the COVID shutdown. And we haven't had basketball for four months. And then when we did get basketball back, none none of the media was going to the bubble outside of a select few. So it's just been like, okay, you know, gym twice a day, you know. Ooh, twice but, a day. Twice a day, six days a week. Uh, lifting, Stairmaster, running, um, no basketball because obviously that's a – uh, a really easy way to expose yourself to, to, to not being healthy. Um, you know, so I've done things that I have never done before, even when I was a college athlete um, in terms of weightlifting. Cause when I was in college and I was playing in college, like I had a naturally strong body and mm-hmm. I would never lift. Like they were, the team would lift. I would just go in the weight room and, and hit the wall. So I could say that I hit the weight room. <laughs> and, and and basically walk out. <laughs> so I've never really lifted before, and now I'm lifting, and um, and you know, just you know, running, you know, five six miles a day, stairmaster, eating right, you know. So we'll see how long it lasts, but I, you know, I have some very specific goals that I'm still very far away from. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, you know, I have definitely made a little bit of progress, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll share like numbers on my end. Like I was, um, I had to get a physical for a reason that, uh, I'm not going to share yet on the podcast, but, um, and the doctor was like, you weigh 210 pounds right now. And like, I probably have weighed that for a while. And just like, didn't even really recognize it. Cause my body tends to like carry weight pretty well. And uh, I was like, 
oh yeah, that's bad. I am literally uh, clinically obese right now <laughs> and I mm-hmm. need to go about fixing that. So over the last like three weeks, I've dropped down to 10 pounds. I've cracked 200 already and I am, uh, I'm excited to continue on this journey with you of trying to, trying to get healthier because I also have some goals of where I want to be down to over the course of the next five, six weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm excited that I have uh, someone in you that I can count on that's joining me with this. Well, um, <laughs> your 210 sounds like a dream because the on March 12th, no, I weighed myself on March 27th. The day that I got out of quarantine, yep. uh, I was 267 pounds. Wow. And now I am around 224 pounds. That's amazing. So, um, so yeah, m- my goal, my goal is to hopefully try to get down to about 180 pounds. Yeah. That's exactly what mine is as well. Yeah. That is, uh. That is awesome, dude. You have lost 40 plus pounds yes. since quarantine started. That is incredible. And you should be very proud of yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm very mortified that I was 267. But listen, when you're on the road and you're going to, from city to city, it it's is hard. very easy. It's hard, it's, it's hard to keep weight off and it's easy to put weight on. Yep. It's, especially with me because, you know, I have terrible genetics. Awful awful genetics. So, you know, oh man. Is I'm 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 one of those people that I'm Zion Williamson. I have to watch <laughs> whatever is put into my yeah. mouth for like every bit of my life. Oh, well, man. I'm not Zion Williamson because I'm not 66 and you know, can't jump you out. You don't have head. a 47 inch vertical leap. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Let's uh, let's go from this topic where we're very excited about ourselves and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks situation and the league as a whole. So unless you've been living under a rock, you know what's happened. But the Milwaukee Bucks decided to walk out and not play on Wednesday, their game five playoff game against the Orlando Magic. And this was a decision that seemingly came about right before the game. Uh, it was not something they consulted with the Players Association about. I don't think that they necessarily needed to consult with the Players Association, but, you know, it's something that they decided to take a stand on. And mm-hmm. it's it's awesome. I, I love that they did it. I love that they stood up for what they believed in. And I love that uh, I love that they were able to shine a light on the issue of police brutality in a way that it feels like uh, between the RNC uh, that is happening this week and between uh, the pandemic continuing to run roughshod through the country and and uh, an election that's forthcoming, like it feels like the issue had gone away from the public consciousness and yesterday the Bucks shifted it back and the obvious shooting of Jacob Blake shifted it back as well. But it was even amplified to a greater extent by the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks sat out and fought for what they believed in. And I have just the utmost respect for everyone who did it. I mean, what was your original thought right when you saw it? Well, my original thought, I mean, you know, I was following Twitter in real time. I was, um, I had just left the gym. 
Um, and I was just like, wow, they're really going to do it. And, you know, obviously this hits home for them. I mean, this is really personal for them because, you know, you have the Sterling Brown situation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew George, I got to know George Hill really well uh, when he was in Utah. And mm-hmm. he is extremely socially conscious, um, you know, and um, and Wisconsin, frankly, does not have the most pristine uh, image when it comes uh, to racial relations. Um, you know, so it's is really, you know, something that, um, you know, I, I thought that you know, when you sat back and analyzed it, uh, you weren't really surprised that it was the Bucks that, that took this step and this measure um, because, you know, that it really hit home with them. Um, yeah. And obviously, Kyle Corver, I got to know Kyle Corver pretty well in his year in Utah. And obviously, he put out that amazing uh, OPED piece uh, last year uh, about you know, what it is, you know, to, to have white privilege in America, yep. you know, and, and, you know, enough is enough, man. I mean, you know, you go from Brianna Taylor to George Floyd to Ahmaud Mabry to so many instances, um, you know, Trevon Martin, just so many instances where, you know, you're gunned down uh, just because you have blacks because of the color of your skin. And, you know, I've said this before uh, and I'll say it again. We had gotten to a point. um, We had gotten to a point where racism in in this country was an undercurrent and where it wasn't cool. uh, It wasn't cool to harbor those beliefs. Um, we had gotten to a point where if you harbored those beliefs that you basically had to go and retreat under a rock, uh, in this country. And, um, these, these, these last few years, you know, have made it cool to be, to, 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 to harbor those beliefs again. And, and it's, it's made it cool to, to have racism be overt again. And that that is a stunning, um, that is a stunning regression for this country. Um, so, you know, we are where we are right now, and the reason why there's so much unrest is because I think people are tired of this. As a black man, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of waking up and 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 you know, seeing stuff like this. I'm tired of, as a father, you know, I don't want to have to fear, you know, for my two, two little girls, every time they leave the house, you know, I have a 16 year old and, you know, she's old enough to know what's going on in this country. And, you know, and she wanted to go, she wanted to go to, um, the the uh protest down in salt lake city uh uh and i you know i ended up eventually relenting and letting her go um but that was 
those are the most scary moments of, of, you know, my life because I, I fear for her. And, you know, there was a, a guy literally showing up with a bow and arrow pointing yeah. it at protesters in downtown Salt Lake city, you know, and, and this is, this is just not okay. What's going on in this country right now. I cannot stress any stronger. This is, this is just not okay. You know, a kid, a 17 year old kid who's a year older than my daughter uh, with an AR 17 walking down the middle of the street, shooting people, and doesn't get arrested. Doesn't get arrested on the spot. But, uh, you know, I mean, you know, a guy may or may not have a weapon in the car and he gets shot seven times in the back. You know, Jacob Blake may or may not have a weapon. So it's okay to shoot him 17, seven times in the back in front of his children. In front of his children. But a kid with an AR can shoot multiple people, cause fatalities, and, you know, walk down the middle of the street, say, yo, you know, I shot these people, and walk home. There's something wrong with that. It's it's to the point now where I can't. It's hard for me to explain to people that this is not a left-right issue. Like, I, I can't – I do it because it's important, but this is a human rights issue. This is literally black people across the country are just asking for police officers to stop shooting them. It should be the bare minimum – that can be done. It should be a necessity that a black person can feel safe walking across the street in America and that you should not have to worry for your children when they leave the house. It, I, it, it eludes me that anyone would have a different opinion than that. Because there are even people in this world that I don't think would like self-identify as white supremacists that see this as a left-right issue. And I don't understand how people can feel that way. It is genuinely about human rights. It is not about politics in any way we need to get to a point in the country where we can stop the mass incarceration and shooting of black people at a disproportionate level to anyone else in america i went on the radio in australia last night and what kind of fucked me up was you talk to people who don't live in this country and you have to explain that for 400 years, 
the United States has disproportionately killed black people for reasons that are incomprehensible for reasons that are sickening. And you have to explain that. And I'm not saying that like other countries don't have race related issues, but people hold up America as this ideal and to have to explain that that ideal is a facade and that people in this country of color do not feel safe and to have to explain that to other people across the, like across the world who I think are realizing it now, it, it kind of fucked me up a little bit having to do that. Like I went to bed last night cause I did the radio hit at like 10 and I was like, like I had to like stop and like really like just sit outside for a minute and just be like, this is disgraceful and it's not new. This, this country has been doing this. You're right. That like it was an undercurrent for a long time, but it's, it's always been there. You talk to anyone. I'm sure that you have, experiences with police that I have never had with police and it really just never ends and it's hard to it's hard to find a solution but I'm glad that the Milwaukee Bucks brought it back to the forefront and I absolutely think that they did bring it back to the forefront like there are people making disingenuous arguments that what does walking out do? What is the like purpose of walking out? Well, in Milwaukee's case, they got on the phone with the attorney general and with the lieutenant governor. Within hours of having done that, the attorney general had released an update on where the investigation into Jacob Blake's shooting is. they entirely disrupted a news cycle to where imagine if they didn't do this, we would just literally be talking about basketball today Mm -hmm. instead of discussing the issues of racial equality in this country and police brutality in this country and that athletes and people of color, specifically black people are sick of it to say that they didn't have an impact or to say that, the impact on this was muted is so categorically wrong. And then you see the Ravens come out with a statement today and we see a cascading effect where now teams are asking specifically and using their platforms in the Ravens case specifically arrest and charge the police officers responsible for Breonna Taylor's killing and the shooting of Jacob Blake demand that Senator Mitch McConnell bring the George Floyd justice and policing act of 2020 to the Senate floor for a vote End qualified immunity, require body cameras, ban chokeholds and no knock warrants, hold police accountable in court, establish a framework to prohibit racial profiling at federal, state and local levels, support state and federally mandated Kalia reckon, uh, accreditation and national standards of care in policing. I mean, that is an NFL team coming out for what is very progressive legislation in the face of what has happened in the country. And 
I genuinely don't believe that that happens if the Bucks don't make the decision they made yesterday. Right. Exactly. And, you know, my thing is, I mean, uh, you know, it was it was a way to apply pressure. I don't think what the NBA, the, the players did was, was perfect, um, simply because I thought that unity is – you know, the best thing, right? Like whatever you do, you know, you have to be unified, 100% unified. Um, so I wish, you know, on some level that some of the details of, of the players meeting didn't leak out last night. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, my thing, um, with, I just think the emotions were so raw look something had to be done it's this is drastic man (laughs) like really this is drastic i mean you know it's 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 just it's just happening too much and you know really i mean this 2020 has just been trash um as a year um and i just think that you know what the bucks did um, you know, it was a drastic measure to, to bring attention, uh, to the situation because, you know, the, the current measures haven't been working. And so I'm, 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 I'm really glad that, you know, yesterday happened. Um, I think it was needed. Uh, I think it, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, at every level, you know, not not just black people, but white people, uh, you know, brown people, you know, everybody's got to say enough is enough because at the end of the day, this ain't a black white issue. This is a human issue. Like you yep. just like if you you can't sh- you just shouldn't be shooting people seven times in the back. You know, and this, you know, and I applaud the, I applaud the other league. I applaud the NHL, MLB. I applaud Naomi Osaka. I applaud everybody who decided, you know, to to follow suit with the NBA and, and take a stand because at the end, you know, racism, you know, that's a, that, you know, it affects all of us. And then, like you said, this is the bare minimum. Like this is, you know, asking for black people to not, you know, be disproportionately murdered by police. That shouldn't be a big ask. Mm-mm. You know, we're not asking for the world. We're asking for, for basic human dignity, dignity and basic human rights. I'm glad that you brought up other leagues because I think that this conversation can't go forward without mentioning the incredible work that the WNBA has WNBA, done. WNBA, absolutely. Of this. Incredible, incredible work. Incredible work. And they've they been at been, the forefront at this for, for a while. Maya Moore was genuinely one of the best basketball players on the planet 
regardless she of sat gender. out regardless of gender and she sat out in order to try and get a wrongfully imprisoned black man out of jail and was successful and was successful ariel atkins went on tv last night for the washington mystics and was absolutely exceptional on tv she was so clear-headed, so intelligent in the way that she broke down that it just, th- this is not about basketball. That people who play basketball are not just basketball players. The stick to sports thing is completely and utterly ridiculous. And we need to move beyond that and understand that athletes are no longer going to be silent about issues in this country. Uh, I saw like some obviously disingenuous takes about like, Oh, what, what his, uh, what have, what have these NBA players done since they've been in the bubble to try and uh, promote racial equality and promote their views and to promote um, and try and make a difference. LeBron James is literally starting like a company where he, or a, uh, I guess a nonprofit to where he is getting out the vote in regions where that are predominantly black and finding poll workers to go work in regions that are predominantly black and working with organizations like the Dodgers to open up Dodger stadium as a polling place uh, in the era of COVID where open air polling places are going to be so much more beneficial to say that athletes have not done anything since they've been down there is you, you have to be willfully ignoring it in order to have not seen it. Yeah, but, that's what people that's what some people want to do you know willfully ignore willfully ignore because you know there's there's always something right you know oh he had a record oh what was he doing jogging in that neighborhood anyway oh her boyfriend was a criminal oh he was a criminal like there's always you know with some faction of people not everybody but with some there's always going to be an excuse, you know, and that's, um, that's just a part of, you know, that's just a part of the faction of, you know, where it's cool in this country right now to be overt. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just been one after the other, you know, you know, Charlottesville, just, just so many instances. And uh, it, if we don't get a handle of it as a country, it's going to be the undoing of this country. It really will be. I'm glad that you brought up the fact earlier that the Bucks are the first or a team that you would expect to make a move like this. I think it's just worth laying out all of the connections that there are to this organization over the last five years to 
racially inequitable situations. Uh, you mentioned Sterling Brown. Obviously, he was a victim of police brutality. Back in 2018, he's involved in a lawsuit against the Milwaukee Police Department. Uh, I believe the story is that he was double parked in a handicapped spot and went into a Walgreens and came back out and um, you know, was essentially surrounded by cops for parking in a handicapped spot, which is absurd in so many ways. Uh, John Henson, a former center for the Bucks, John's moved around a little bit. I believe he plays for the Detroit Pistons now. Um, right after he signed his four-year $44 million, he had the police called on him for just entering a watch store in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Budenholzer was the coach of the Atlanta Hawks back in 2015 when Tabo Cephalosha had his leg broken by police in New York uh, coming out of a club with Chris Copeland and a couple other people. And obviously he goes and wins a police brutality case against the NYPD for $4 million. There are so many ways that even beyond just unfortunately too many black people across America have stories of being wrongfully profiled by the police. Mo Harkless released one yesterday. Um, Thon Maker released his thoughts in one that I saw another former Milwaukee buck who uh, spoke very uh, eloquently about this issue. And it's hard to overstate, I think, that the, Im- the impact that we saw yesterday. They completely changed the narrative of a bubble that was seemingly kind of chugging along and um, – then they come out a few hours after they decide to walk out on the league and George Hill uh, comes out and obviously makes a statement and notes that they want Wisconsin state legislature to reconvene and pass a bill that is currently sitting uh, within the legislature to vote on uh, to pass stricter safety protocols for police to follow Uh Obviously, this was 40 minutes or 40 miles or so from Milwaukee in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in regard to the Jacob Blake shooting. And I can't impress enough how impressed I am that the Bucks essentially put a lot of they put billions of dollars on the line to fight this cause. And you can make the case that they should have involved the players association before doing so, uh, before potentially affecting something that will cost all of the players, uh, billions of dollars. If the players association had decided not to play after this, but the way that they have now gone about asking for change is so impressive to me. And I I really hope that, they're able to continue to put pressure on owners because owners have an incredible role to play in this. They have, I think that the number is like $120 billion or something between all 30 owners in the NBA uh, to be able to contribute to causes that uh, the players deem as worthwhile. I hope that the players continue to work with organizers in their region. Um, 
I believe that Jalen Brown has specifically been working with organizers in Boston in order to fight these issues. It's, I, there's a ways to go, but this was a good starting point and a good way to shine a light back on the issue that they originally wanted to shine a light on by coming down to Orlando. So a couple of thoughts. The The first thought is, if you're Milwaukee, we don't, if, if you're in Milwaukee's shoes, you don't want to say anything to anybody simply because you don't want anybody to try to talk you out of it. Yep. I mean, that's what happened with the Raptors and Celtics, it sounds like. You know, it's like, no, do it. And then everybody can, can react. And, you know, and that, to me, that's fine. Because if you tell the Players Association, maybe the Players Association backs you, but then maybe maybe they say, look, we don't want, we don't want to do this. It's, it's just sometimes it's just best to rip off the Band-Aid, especially when you're going to do something as drastic as this. Um, secondly, the owners putting pressure on the owners, letting the owners know that you're capable of such a, such a, such a measure to me is a good thing because the owners are the, the people with the tentacles to reach higher than you can. Yep. And those are the people that are in the room face to face with a lot of the people that make the very decisions that you want to change to come from. And for me, monetary donations aren't enough. If I'm a player and I look, look at it from an owner perspective, I want the owners to put the pressure on the right people in the right rooms in the right conversations on the right phone calls to really affect change because money isn't enough. What affects change is legislature. You know, what affects change is, you know, getting getting a bill to the floor and getting it passed into a law. You know, what affects change is, you know, like you said, making a no-knock warrant illegal so Breonna Taylor doesn't get gunned down and in the comfort of her own home while she's sleeping. Or making a chokehold illegal so that an officer can't kneel on George Floyd's neck until he literally suffocates and dies. You know, so, I mean, you know, money is one thing. Like, we want legislature. Yep. So this stuff can't happen. And that's where the owners come into play. You know, that's that's what means more to me right now than money. Like, yeah, okay, you could donate $300 million to whatever charity or whatever cause that you want to. But the legislature that allows for this to happen is still in place. There's got to be real tangible stuff on paper to deter some of this stuff from happening. Like it can't be, you know, it can you know, it can't be, you know, okay, uh, well, let's look at the video and see what happened to George Floyd 
and yeah, you know, let's try to interpret this. It should be, oh, he kneeled on his neck until he died. That's murder because it's in the legislature and that's illegal. Yep. Oh, you brought you, you executed a no knock warrant and shot Brianna Taylor. That's murder. There's nothing left to talk about because it's legislature. It's on paper. That's illegal. If you're involved in an officer, uh, a shooting as a police officer and you don't have your body camera on. That's murder. Your body camera should be on. That's illegal. Like that's the stuff that that's what that's what will enact change. And that's where I'm glad that LeBron is getting out uh, his more than a vote campaign. It's where I'm glad that people like Jalen Brown and Malcolm Brogdon exist uh, to get out and protest many of the things that are happening across the country in regard to police brutality. Uh, The thing that really uh, stuck with me that I saw today was something that Chris Herring tweeted out. Chris Herring found a poll where it was about the public opinion of Black Lives Matter protests in Wisconsin, uh, a poll about police behavior and related topics. And this is uh, from Charles Franklin uh, and his Twitter account, Polls and Votes. And what he found was that among white people, in June, these things were generally approved of. Uh, by 22 points in a net approve disapprove situation. Uh, at the beginning of August, these were disapproved by white people by five points. So it's clear that this has left the public consciousness, and the reason that people are fighting is no longer. in the understanding enough. We, we don't, too many people have forgotten what matters in regard to this. Too many people have forgotten what Black Lives Matter actually stands for. And that's disheartening. It's very disheartening. Yeah, especially when we go from one incident to the other. That's what really sucks about it. And that's what's really, that's what's really disheartening about it. Like, this country burned over George Floyd. (laughs) Yep. I mean, these were, correct me if I'm wrong, but these had to be the most drastic riots nationwide since 1965. Nationwide. I would imagine... It was probably this. It was probably the Rodney King riots. It was probably Rodney King riots. Yeah. Probably there might be like one or two other instances, but yes, this was a genuinely, uh, genuinely seismic event across the country that took place over the course of like over a week. It wasn't, it wasn't a day. It was, this was, this was every single day. 
and not less than less than three months later, it happened again. It happened again. Yep. You know, and that's the thing. Like, it, it breaks my heart that man's kids saw their father get shot down like a dog. Well, I'm sorry, because if he were a dog, they wouldn't have shot him seven times in the back. Yep. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's, you know, I mean, that that's, that's the disheartening part about it. There were nationwide protests, nationwide unrest, and less than three months, we're back at the same spot. I can't impress enough upon people that you should care about other people. It's the bare minimum that you can do is care that other people are treated equally. It really just comes down to that for me. Like it's, I'm done kind of dealing with the bullshit of what people, how people equivocate over this issue. I'm I'm done dealing with the disingenuous arguments about this. It's, it's not, it's not, it's just incredibly disheartening that we're at this point. It's incredibly disheartening. And incredibly disappointing. Um it's to me, I, I'm just really, you know, like I said, I, I see I see this different you know, when it was myself it was one thing, but you know, I have dependents. And I fear for them. Yep. You know, my biggest fear is that they'll get stuck in a moment where, you know, I won't be there to protect them. It really is the bare minimum. It's the absolute bare minimum that should be done. We need to stop shooting people in this country because they're black. Uh, We'll be back momentarily here and Tony and I are going to talk a little bit about basketball. All right. And we are back. Uh, feels like going from that to basketball is tough and is, uh, so much less important, but games are going to be played this weekend. Uh, the NBA is going to play either on Friday or Saturday. It feels like based off of what the reporting is from the bubble. And, you obviously cover one of the teams that is going to be involved in those games. Have you enjoyed this series? Like to watch this jazz nugget series? Cause I feel like it's just like an offensive show and it is, uh, it's very, very messy. And I don't even know that either of these teams are good. Like it, it's just so it's a bizarre series to watch to me. I, I enjoy it immensely. I mean, the shot making has been incredible. Um, defense has been optional. Um, 
but I mean, you know, the Jazz have played more defense than Denver, which is why they have a three-two lead. Um, but then they didn't play defense when they could have put the series on ice, and that, you know, that might put the series in peril for them. Um, so I mean, but I've enjoyed watching Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. Uh, tremendously, and I've enjoyed watching uh, Nikola Jokic and, and Rudy Gobert uh, tremendously as well. Um, you know, it's obviously it's been an up and down series, and you know, guys have been, you know, it it it's the pace is different than a playoff series, than a regular playoff series. It's just not. Um, you know, not played at the pace that you'd expect, uh, uh, you know, a possession by possession half court series to be played at. But, you know, I've been, I've definitely enjoyed watching it. I mean, they're, they've been, they've been really fun games, um, you know, and really competitive in most spots. They've been competitive. I'm just like really struggling with the defense aspect. Like Donovan is just able to walk into shots that are like wide open whatever he wants. And the Denver Nuggets have a 127.4 defensive rating in this series. 127.4. Is that, is that good? No, it's not good. (laughs) That is incomprehensibly high to me. And by the way, in the bubble, in the seeding games beforehand, they had a 121.7 defensive rating. Well, that's why the Jazz uh, tanked their way down to sixth. <laughs> they really, the Nuggets really desperately miss Gary Harris and uh, Will Barton on the wing. Well, they're going to get one of them back. So I can't imagine Gary Harris doesn't play game six. Game six but- or game five? Game six. Yeah, because they're at six. That's right. Yes. I can't imagine Gary Harris doesn't play game six because um, he was, you know, he was a game time decision essentially for game five. Um, but now, you know, especially with the shutdown, uh, he's he's going to have three extra days to get ready for game six. So I can't. I, I think he'll definitely play game six. So they'll get Gary Harris back. Um, and him, plus, plus Denver started defending the Jazz. Well, the way they defended in J- the Jazz in game five was just tremendous. Well, down the stretch in game five. I was going to say, I, I, Michael Porter was like slightly better down the stretch than what he has been throughout the course of the series. And that helped. Like the fact that he wasn't just like flailing all over the court and help defense, uh, not having any idea where to go was an enormous help. Yeah. And you know what? Um, Michael Malone's, I don't want to say patience with Michael Porter Jr. Because, I mean, he had no choice rotation wise, but, you know, um, Michael Porter Jr. Actually, I mean, he's gotten better. As the series has gone on, he was good in game five. He was legit good. Uh, yep. He had 15. Uh, he was a shot maker. He was a plus 18. Uh, and he played passable defense. Um, 
so yeah it, it was you know he's he's definitely he's definitely been a lot better he's definitely gotten better as the series has gone on because i killed him early in the series on twitter so i gotta give uh, him credit where credit is due if he even plays like he doesn't even have to play good defense he doesn't even have to play average defense he just has to like rotate into the spot and be in a defensive stance and just like force Utah to make a read and decision based off of that. As long as he can do that, he's a positive player out there and is a very, honestly, he's a very positive player out there just because of his shot making ability, his athleticism, uh, his ability to crash the offensive glass. Like he really helps Denver, but Man, there have just been so many instances of him, uh, even in the first half of game five, like it was a struggle. I, I hope that in the second half of game five, he really figured some things out. But man, that was uh, it, it was rough. It was very, 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 very rough. Yeah, the, uh, they went at him mercilessly. <laughs> um, every you know, time. I, every time. I mean... You know, I I think the Jazz will adjust to what Denver did, um, which is, you know, they uh, were much more aggressive in meeting Donovan Mitchell uh, up high and, and uh, forcing the pick, forcing Rudy Gobert to set the pick, his pick way higher than he had been for, for much of the series. And that really helped – uh, them defensively, but you know, Quinn Snyder is really good at adjusting and and figuring stuff out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a big part of me that just really feels like the Jazz gave Denver life. You know, they were up seventy one fifty six in Game Five after Mike 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 Conley hit a three pointer. Um, you know, they were, um. You know, they were in control of that game and they honestly should have closed it out. Um, you know, if you're a Jazz fan, you you had better be petrified of Jamal Murray because that guy is just coming every single possession. Uh, he is not going to stop until the final buzzer. There is no quitting him. And um, he, he would not. Let that, there were there have been multiple times this season against the Jazz where he has just not let Denver lose. Uh, so if you're a Jazz fan, um, you would better have a really really healthy respect for uh, what he can do. I feel like he is turning into one of those guys who is just a playoff player, like a guy that. I want to just go to battle with in the playoffs. Uh, there are 16 player or 16 game players as Draymond green often says, and between this year and last year's playoffs, I mean, look, Jamal was a little bit hot or cold in last year's playoffs, but man, when he had it going, he genuinely won Denver games And this year. He has in his last two games, he has 92 points and zero turnovers. Like this is a guy that is turning into a genuine 16 game player because of his shot making ability. And like, look, 
Utah's defense has not been very good either. Utah's defense, and we should talk about this too, but like Utah's defense has been bad basically since February. What do you kind of attribute that to right now? Well, I attribute it to Jokic being bad defensively. I mean, no, 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 no. Utah's defense, not Denver's. Utah's defense. Well, because they can't guard anybody on the perimeter (laughs) and they haven't been able to all season. Um, and Rudy Gobert can only make up for so much. Um, and the thing about the thing about the Jazz, I mean, you know, they were still eleventh overall defensively, but you know, there were just times. I mean, there have been so many guys who have just like really gone off against them, and you know, right now Murray's going off against them, uh, and they they have to figure something. They have to figure that out a little bit, at least mitigate his damage. Um, if they want, if they want to win this series, you know, you know, Denver is as bad as they've been defensively. They are just such a good team offensively, and they're they're completely capable of still coming back and winning this series. You know, just based off of shot making alone. So, you know, the Jazz are gonna have to figure out a way to to, to get some stops um, when they need to, and. If they find a way to 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 uh, to if they find a way to find their way into a double figure lead, they better you know they they better treat those next five six minutes uh, as the most important minutes of their season because that's what happened in Game Five. You know they get up seventy one fifty six, they have a bad five minutes and it's a game again. And then once it became a game again, the Jazz kind of fell apart. So. You know, if they if they figure out a way to get a five point lead, they better figure out a way to make it ten. If they find a way to make it ten, they better find a way to make it fifteen, and so on and so on. Because if that game is close down the stretch, um, it's hard for me to to not look at Jamal Murray and be like, he's going to steal the game. Does it feel like to you that Donovan is taking a leap in the series? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the poise for me. Like even in the Thunder series that he gets so much credit for by beating Russell Westbrook and Paul George where he was yeah, he was he was uh, a whirling dervish in that yeah, series. It, yeah, he was just all over the place and had like right. a phenomenal uh, I believe it was six games that series, if I remember. Right. Correctly. He was like a ball of energy in that series. This this series it's it's like slow motion. You know, like yeah. you know how like Kawhi Leonard and LeBron play in slow motion. Like they look, they're playing slower than everybody else on the floor. That's because they're two steps ahead of everybody else on the floor. Luka Doncic as well, and Donovan Mitchell has had that same kind of thing, where it just kind of looks like he's moving in slow motion as a, compared to any everybody else on the floor. Um, you know, his reads are so much better. His shooting is better. His ball handling is better. Uh, he he's really figuring it out. The game is slowing down for him. So, yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. He's definitely made a leap. He's a different player than he was in in March. Yeah, and the decision making has been better as well. I think like he just is better at making the right reads now. He looks just a lot more comfortable within what Utah is doing. Uh, Donovan looks like the kind of guy, like I still don't really think either of these two teams have a chance to beat the Clippers. And I think that they would lose to Dallas as well, to be frank. 
having said that, a Denver-Dallas series uh, would be wild in terms of offense, just given the way that uh, those two teams have really struggled defensively in this series or in their respective series. Um, it has been fun. I, I, I guess that like maybe that's why I have this malaise over the series. Like I'm, I'm really struggling to see how either of these defenses can beat the Clippers at the end of the day. Well, I, I wouldn't give the Jazz. I think the Jazz would have a puncher's chance against the Clippers. I think, I think the Clippers, I think the Clippers are better than the Jazz. But basketball is a game of matchups, and I think the Jazz match up pretty well against the Clippers. To be honest, um, where I struggle that, is just who is going to guard Paul George and Kawhi. Well, the thing with Paul George and Kawhi, um, well, especially Paul George, um, the Clippers don't have anybody to draw Rudy Gobert away from the basket. So um, Paul George would have to be making pretty much every shot from the perimeter to be ultra effective. Now, it's different from Kawhi for Kawhi, but because he's so so good in the mid-range, um, but if the Jazz played the Clippers, Gobert would be at the basket the entire series. And that's advantage jazz. There's there's nobody that can draw him away from the hoop. Um so he'd just be there uh protecting the rim the entire series. And you don't for, think Lou Williams can draw him out? I mean, Louis Williams isn't gonna get, you know, I mean yeah, he could force switches and everything, but all you got to do is just play drop big. You know, I'd be worried about him pulling up. Yeah, okay. If you lose by Lou Williams making a million mid-rangers, then you were going to lose anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, You know, and for as, as much... Uh, issue is Kawhi and Paul George could cause the Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell can do the same thing to the Clippers because if you play Lou Williams offensively, you got to play him defensively. Yep. And if you play Reggie Jackson offensively, you got to play him defensively. Yeah. Uh, they would need Patrick Beverly in that series. Yeah. I think they could probably win without him, but it would be closer. If they had Patrick Beverly at like full health, I think that the Clippers would be able to cause them some real issues. I, I would pick the Clippers in six over the Jazz, but I would give the Jazz a puncher's chance for sure. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't think it would be a mismatch. Interesting. Is there any other series that has caught your eye before we talk about some draft prospects? Um. Well, I mean the the ones that you know. I mean the the Eastern Conference semifinals should be wild, yeah. Uh, you know, and you know whoever emerges against the Lakers, that should be a really good series as well. So, if it's Houston and they have Russell Westbrook, I am very intrigued. I think that's like a seven game series that could go either way. Yeah, I think that would be a great series for sure. Um, go ahead. 
I think LeBron would would put Houston in the basket though. At some point, yeah, it, it, it would be hard. It would be hard for me to think LeBron wouldn't have a terrific series against Houston with no rim protectors. Yeah, you would think so. And if the Lakers are willing to play small uh, and play Anthony Davis, the five and then play like Kuzma and LeBron across the front line with two guards, that would probably cause some real issues uh, for the Clippers. Cause they would just be able to have like that LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll would be very difficult to stop for them because any switch combination doesn't really work because they can't really contest the jumper from Anthony Davis in the mid range. And then you're essentially pulling out whoever their rim protector is. And you can't guard Anthony Davis with PJ Tucker. You have to guard him with Robert Covington. And if you're pulling Covington away, you're really in a spot where you have no backline rim protection. Cause he at least like provides weak side uh, rotational rim protection. Like if you involve him in the primary screen action, it's going to be a problem for the uh, Rockets against the Lakers if they play small. Right. For sure. No, I, I completely agree with you completely. Um. Let's talk about the draft because you, uh, there are very few things that you enjoy talking about more. I feel like. Well, you know, it's that time of year. It's been that time of year for four <laughs> for months. Four months. <laughs> It's Do you know it's perpetually that time of year? I love these prospects. Like I've gotten to know a few of them, like just talking to them and uh, you know, having conversations about what they've gone through during this process. I've had some of those conversations on the podcast, right? I don't mean this disrespectfully, but like, I'm ready to move on to a different class. <laughs> like uh, I'm, I'm ready to evaluate 2021 guys, but uh, the NBA apparently has uh, other other decisions here to get made because they're looking at moving back this draft, I guess. Well, they're only going to move it back a few weeks, though. A few weeks seems like a, uh, a lifetime to me right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, who are... You mentioned to me earlier that you feel like Jazz fans are very angry at me for giving them Trey Jones. And I just want to say, like, I I think Trey Jones is very good at basketball and the like draft Twitter reaction to Trey Jones has been uh, pretty surprising to me, given the fact that like, A, he is the ACC player of the year. He's a very good basketball player. I think you can make a case he probably should not have won the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I wouldn't have voted for him for ACC Defensive Player of the Year. But he's still a good point-of-attack defender. And he's a pretty good catch-and-shoot player. And he's a great decision-maker. And he's a really good athlete. Like, what, what, am, I, what am I missing here with Trey Jones? The Jazz want a six-foot-nine two-way wing. Or I'm sorry, Jazz fans want a six foot nine two way wing. Sure. So does so does every team in the NBA. <laughs> I, listen, I'm just passing on the message. I'm I just listen. They want, you know, they want Paul Reed or somebody like that. Like 
they want Josh Green. He's not six nine. But like He's Paul six, Reed's six. not a wing. Like Paul Reed's no. a five. They they want Patrick Williams. He's not getting there. I mean, I, you know, Patrick Williams probably not getting to the Jazz. Probably not. They want Aaron yeah. Neesmith. Pa- Patrick Williams. Patrick Williams might go in the lottery at this. Like, if you made he, me place a bet right now on will Patrick Williams go in the lottery or not go in the lottery, I think I would bet on the lottery. They want. They want Aaron Neesmith. I mean, there's not a chance that Aaron Neesmith falls to the Jazz. You know. Um. I mean, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just listen. You're passing along the message. I'm just passing. I'm, I'm just some. All right, so you're thinking Jalen Smith, Trey Jones. You're thinking Xavier I even, Tillman. I don't know that Jalen Smith gets there either. For what it's worth, somebody's got to get there, Sam. Somebody's got to so, get okay, there. Okay, so, so here's the thing, though. From number nine to number eighteen. Run through those teams. The Washington Wizards, they need a wing. The Phoenix Suns, they could use another wing. San Antonio Spurs, they need another wing. Uh, The Sacramento Kings desperately need a wing. The New Orleans Pelicans desperately need a wing shooter. The Celtics just take wings. Like That's literally all they do is take wings. The Orlando Magic need more perimeter shooting and need a true like two-guard slash one slash wing. The Blazers might be the team that need wings as much as anybody in the league. Oh, wait, it might be Minnesota that needs wings as much as anyone in the league at 17. Oh, wait, it might be Dallas that needs wings as much as anyone in the league at 18. Like, unless the Utah Jazz want to really move up and use the draft capital that they're going to have to use, the future draft capital that they're going to have to use to move up, or use a player that's currently on their roster. They don't have any future draft capital. It's all going to Memphis. Right. Like, I, I don't see where they like, I, I don't see how they move up and I don't see how they get that wing. Like you, I guess you could take Robert Woodard, like Robert Woodard might be there. He's, he's interesting. Like he's a great kid has real upside. You could take, they could take Ramsey. He's like a, he's the same position as Trey Jones. I think he's, he's bigger. Two, I guess he's more of a two than a one, but he's like than Trey Jones. But do we know if Jemias Ramsey is a good shooter? No, we do not know that. Yeah. Like, I would bet on Jemias Ramsey to shoot more than I would bet on Trey Jones to shoot. But if we look up in five years and Trey Jones is a 35% three-point shooter and Jemias Ramsey is a 33% three-point shooter, that wouldn't stun me. So, if you're the Jazz... Leandro Bomaro could be an option for them, but he he's a stash as well, though. He's a stash. Um, Tyler Bay, if you were convinced that he could guard guard out on the perimeter, he's he's somebody. Um, I've you heard like Tyler that Bay? Uh, he's okay. He's okay, you know, but I like his motor. Um. The guy that I, I would want for the Jazz is Sadiq Bay. Because I think I he totally has, agree. Because I think he has the two way upside to really be good for the Jazz. But 
I don't know that he gets there. Yeah, I was gonna say like thousand percent agree. He's not getting there though. Like he's he's going. If he goes, if he falls beneath Dallas at eighteen, just given what they also need, I'd be stunned. Like I would be floored. And then Philadelphia at twenty one is another hurdle given their need for shooting and wing play. Like you know, and if, no, I, and, no if way, I were jazz, right? and if I were the Jazz and I'm taking a point guard, I'm thinking Tyrell Terry before I take. Um, before before I take uh, Jones Trey, because Tyrell Terry's a knockdown shooter with defensive upside. Yep. Does he have defensive upside? I think he has defensive upside. He's six four. He's quick, and you know, and he's long. So yeah, so, I don't think he's that long. I think he's like pretty even in terms of wingspan, from what I know. And he's what's his wingspan like a. I think it's so he's six three now. He's gotten an inch taller, and he is. I would bet you six five wingspan. That, that so might the, be the, the top question like, is. The question is, what happens if? Okay, there are two real upside picks that might fall to the Jazz. Uh, Jaden McDaniel's and RJ sure. Hampton. Yeah, but those I think are, that's possible. Those are real. Boomer bust type picks. Jay McDaniels could be an all star. He can be out of the league by the end of his rookie deal. Yep. R.J. Hampton can be an all star. He can be. He could be Dante Exum. I will say, like, I think R.J. sticks in the NBA because I've heard really good things about his work ethic, and I've heard really good things about like his maturity. And I would bet you that he's going to work until he figures it out. I, I don't, I don't know if that'll be the case with Jaden. Uh, it's not to say that like he isn't a hard worker, but uh, I think that I trust RJ a little bit more in that regard uh, to figure it out and stick. He might be Dante Exum though. Like that might be real. Uh, he was one of the worst players in the NBL this year as ro- like a full on rotation yep. guy. Yep. Exactly. Um, yep. He really, he really struggled. He was overmatched, but he was not great this year and he really has to shoot it to be good. I mean, would you take Tyrell Terry over both of those guys? I would take Tyrell Terry over both of those guys. I, I look at Tyrell Terry and I think he's going to be a 40% three point shooter for most of his career. Yeah. Do you think he can play point like regularly? I'm not sure. I mean, I think he has some Landry Shamit in him. But Landry Shamit is a valuable rotation player on a championship contender. And if you can get a valuable rotation player on a championship contender at 23, you do it. Right. Like, I've been kind of comparing Tyrell Terry to, like, Steve Kerr. Whenever I talk to teams, like, I feel like that's more like the athleticism and the role, but he's a better passer too. Like he actually is, he has a ton of vision. He's has like very unselfish. He just doesn't have like a terrific handle in the way that you have an, have to have an incredible handle to be an NBA point guard. Right. And I mean, the other thing, I mean, if I were to jazz and I hate saying this stuff about Syracuse people, but Elijah Hughes is somebody who would, who (laughs) it's got to hurt you. 
That, that one really hurt me. <laughs> but I liked Elijah Hughes this year. Like, he can really score it. And he can shoot it. Yeah. And a, a great kid. We've had him on the podcast here. Uh, someone that I think I would trust to get better. Can you uh, either edit that part out or just, like, edit it to say that he's <laughs> from Georgetown? <laughs> Oh man. We'll say he's from East Carolina because that's where he started his career. We can do can we do that? <laughs> East Carolina's Elijah Hughes. Because I can't I can't I I just I can't like I, I gotta take a shower now. Like I just gave a Syracuse kid <laughs> some love. Um Desmond Bain would be interesting for them as well if they want like a pure shooter. Yes. Um, where do you stand on Emmanuel quickly? Great shooter. I don't know if he can do anything else. He's, I will say this. He, I guess like he is like six foot two, but he really does defend. Like he plays hard on that end can, and can guard guys that are like six, five, six, six. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know if he has enough. Like, I don't know if he has enough game, like to actually, like he can't play point. He's a pure two but he's like a right. six foot two, two guard. No, I agree with you. Um, if you were to jazz and Jaden McDaniels was there at 23, do you take him? I wouldn't. Um, I have Jaden at 41 on my board. Um, you coming in hot. I, I get it. Like I totally get the upside with Jaden. Um, I totally get the appeal of someone like him. But, and you know, like, look, I had Bull Bull very low last year as well. And I don't know, based off of what we saw in the bubble, like, I'm intrigued on the skill set. Like, part of well, that was obviously you know, he, that I... He's better than Rudy Gobert, so... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the Bull Bull <laughs> hype train is so great. Um, I mean, that's what, that, that's what I was told by NBA Twitter. He's... The the guy that I'd be interested, like, what do you have you watched any of Alexei Pukyashevsky? I have not. The guy I was interested in because we were talking about Tyrell Terry, so I would ask you, Tyrell Terry or Malachi Flynn? Oh, you're, you're hitting the you're hitting the right questions here. Uh, I like Malachi for what it's. Worth. I like Malachi because he's number one. He's a hell of a shooter. Number two, he can get his shots off in different ways. The one thing that he can do that I have not seen enough of Tyrell is he can get his shot off off the dribble. And um, Malachi is not afraid of the moment at all. Nope. And you so know what I'm, else Malachi I'm kinda, is? I'm kind of high on Malachi. Ahead, what else I is Malachi? He's a great defender. Yes, he's a good defender. Stays in front of people. I think I've said this in a few different areas. I don't know that I've said it on this podcast, particularly. I think I've said it on like guest podcasts before. I think Malachi Flynn's the closest thing I've seen to Fred Van Bleet since Fred Van Bleet. Oh my God. Sam is coming in hot. I don't know. Like I, it's, it takes a very special kind of human to be Fred Van Vliet. Like Fred is one of the 10 toughest guys in the NBA. Yeah. He's right? one of the 10. I was just about to, I wasn't going to say tough. I was going to say competitive. 
So, so Malachi has that same competitiveness from what I gather. Um, he's skinnier than Fred. He's not quite as strong. I don't think he's going to finish at the rim quite as well, uh, but he does have a floater game. Uh, he can get a shot in a variety of ways, similar to Fred. Uh, Fred probably is a little bit better of a passer than what he is, better decision maker than what he is. But Malachi had a three to one assist to turnover ratio, had, you know, I think five, five and a half assists a game this year for a San Diego State team that went, uh, I believe, 30 and two, something like that. He won the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year award. We can parse whether or not he should have won it, but like he's at the very least a good lead guard defender who fights over screens, gets into passing lanes, is a really, really good defender. Hyper competitive, hyper work ethic as well, from what I've been told. Like I was told that like you have to literally like lock up the balls in the gym with a chain and then you have to lock the door outside of the gym with a chain in order to keep him out of the gym. And that is the kind of stuff that makes you believe that he's going to continue to get better and better and better. Right. It's the kind of thing that made Fred, you know, as incredible as he is. And, and look, like if you maybe bet on Malachi Flynn being as good as Fred Van Vliet, I would say he's not going to be that good. But in terms of the traits that have made Fred as good as he is, I think Malachi has the best mix of those traits that I've seen since Fred has come in. Yeah. Well, I, I really thought, you know, just from watching him, um, I think he's a ceiling raiser, um, which is, you know, kind of atypical for a guy of his size. Um, I think he's a knockdown shooter. And like you said, I mean, he's, he's really competitive and he's a real leader. where where do no. you think I have Malachi Flynn on my board right now? Um, like on, after my, that, on my I think personal you, board. I think you have him in the 20s. I have him at 20. See, I know you too well. You do know me too well. Like, I have him ahead of Grant Riller, Cassius Winston, Tyrell Terry, um, Nico Mannion, Peyton Pritchard, Skylar Mays, Jamias Ramsey. Um, like I have them ahead of all those guys. Josh Green. Um, like I, I am. I, I'm not saying like I'm like a thousand percent on all, all in on him being like an elite level player, but man, I am more than willing to bet on that guy being good. Yeah, I think he's going to be good as well. I mean, so yeah, if I'm the Jazz, I would, I would consider him. Um, I really do like Grant Rilla, though. I'm sorry, I kind of have a man crush on him. He's, he was really good at Charleston this year. Um, Look, this podcast has been the biggest Grant Riller fan club uh, member over the course of the last two years. So you're you're preaching to the choir, please. Uh, tell me, tell me why you're all in on Grant. You know, I, I just think he's a he's a guy who makes big plays. Like he makes really, really, really big plays, and he's mature. Um, uh, I think he's a guy that gets his shot. Uh, I think he's a guy that locks up, and I think the biggest thing is uh, he's been a guy that's been overlooked his entire career. He plays with. Just he plays with a monstrous chip on his shoulder, and he comes from a good yep. program. That's a good program. Yeah. Um, 
and and you know he's got he's got better than average size than you think um and you know he he's he's a he's 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 a guy he's another guy who to me has been a ceiling raiser um so you know i mean he he's the more that i've watched of him and in terms of you know just looking at looking at his film um the more the more i've liked him so um it's it's the tempo and pace that he plays at is a ball handler for me yeah very he's very crafty yep god i hate it, that word why did i just use that word he got handles well, <laughs> can we uh you're only allowed to use that word for guys like Nico Mannion and Peyton Pritchard and Peyton, um, Peyton Pritchard isn't crafty. He's downright athletic. He's got, he's explosive. He's, he he's not crafty. He really now Peyton, now really, Nico Mannion might be crafty because he, he doesn't get much separation. But Peyton Pritchard is explosive off the dribble. He gets separation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I really like Peyton. I have Peyton ahead of Nico as well. I where do you, I have Nico in like the I have Nico forty I got right Nico now. Nico's so. in the forties. I, I, I and somebody asked me on a radio show. It was like, well, should Nico go back to school? I was like, no, by all means, he needs to not go back to school because he's going to get drafted, and if he goes back to school. <laughs> He's all he's gonna do is give people more more film. He should go now. One one thousand percent. I kind of wish he would have gone back to school. No, don't go back to school. Cause he's got stuff in his game that I don't think he can fix. Yeah. It's the lack of burst. It's he's never going to get separation off the dribble. That's and I don't know that he's ever going to become a great shooter. Yeah. So you got a guy who right now, I don't know who he guards. I don't know how he scores. I don't know how he gets in, into the lane. And he's still going to be a first round pick. I don't think, I don't think it's a guarantee. Okay. He's still going to get picked. I think he'll get picked. In fact, so, I feel very, here's, here's a wild question for you. Like, let's just, let's just get fully wild here. Is he a better prospect than Jordan Ford? I don't feel comfortable answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have Jordan Ford at like 65. Like, I'm, like I, I have Jordan lower than what I have Nico. I think they're in basically a similar tier to me. That's wild, Sam. You know how wild that sounds, but Jordan Ford's really good. Yeah. We were talking about Nico Mannion last year at the top 10. See, here's the thing. And I don't mean disrespect to Nico because I would prefer all of these kids succeed. But I haven't had him there ever, I don't think. Like, I had him at 17 in the preseason. Like, I had him, like, outside of the lottery. And I had him, 
I think is like very clearly like the second Arizona prospect. And then like even wrote in the original mock draft I wrote for this year that like well, there he's the third sources. He's, he's the third. Yeah. That, he's the third one now. Yeah. Like I even wrote then that like, there are people who think that Zeke Najee is like right. actually kind of a sneaky one and done even before the season started. So like, I mean, man, like, would you, would you feel more comfortable with him or Marcus Howard? I would feel more comfortable with Nico because I'm not sure Marcus Howard is an NBA player. I agree, but are you sure that Nico is? Um, not a hundred percent sure, but I'm probably a little bit more sure that Nico's got what it takes to stay in the league than Marcus Howard. Now that being said, and this is going to be wild, Marcus Howard is the guy with the NBA skill set because yep. he can shoot. And speaking of NBA skill set, there's a guy in your neck of the woods who's been on this podcast named Sam Merrill, who I was waiting until we get to Sam. I have him like five spots lower than Nico right now. Like it's hard. It's hard for me to go to get past. This this brings me to Tony's hot take of the night. Please. You ready? (laughs) I'm firing away. Sam Merrill is going to have a long career, NBA career than Nico Mannion. I don't think that's wild. <laughs> I agree. Like, I, I don't know that I agree, but in really the problem could be that Nico is going to get a five-year head start on Sam because Nico's entering the NBA at 19 and Sam's entering it at 45 years old. But like, <laughs> You know, I agree. Like, I think Sam has an NBA skill set that's really underrated, and he took on tough defensive assignments this year, and I thought he was really good. I think Sam Merrill's really good. I think Sam Merrill is a guy who can – I'm not sure. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I'm not sure that he can guard the point, but I think yep. he can play the point offensively in the league. Yeah, he reads he reads second and third level defenders really well. And Sam is a knockdown shooter from a variety of spots. And yep. and Sam, runs off of screens. And runs off of screens. And Sam's going to be Sam has size. Sam's going to be a hell of a locker room guy. And uh I think he's going to stick I think he's going to stick in the league. I think he has a real shot too as well. Um, Tony, give me your last. I want one more guy. I want one more just like, I-, I want someone who's like off the board right now. Not even off the board, but like someone outside of like a traditional top 60 that you love. Cause I, I know that you've got one somewhere. Oh, I've got one. You know, I've got one. Oh, mirror seven. No, I'm just joking. Don't do that. That was a joke. Don't, that was a joke. Don't do that to me. I do not love Amir Year Seven. <laughs> By the way, like I'm at the point where I have to, like I'm pretty close to ranking him in my top 100. Uh, I don't know who he guards at the NBA level. At no all. one, but he is a he good can, offensive player. He's a good offensive player. But if you watch Georgetown this year, he did it all back to the basket. He's going to have to learn a different game. Right. I, I'm. I'm just running out of players. <laughs> I've got. I've got two for you. 
Okay. I've got I got two for you. Uh, Nate Hinton, I love him. Yep, I like him. I too. I love Nate Hinton. He's super under the radar. I think he's going to be able to play two or three positions. He's a jack of all trades. I think he's going to be one of those guys where he's going to show up in somebody's rotation for a winner, and people are going to be like, who the hell is he? Yep. That's 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 one. And my other one, people might know him because he made a hell of a play in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, but Mama Diakite. Diakite. I don't know how to pronounce his name. but Diakite. Diakite. Um, I think defensively, He's got a chance to be switchable. Uh, he's got a hell of a motor. Uh, he's going to be one of those guys who does a lot of dirty work things that don't show up in the box score. He has a shot. He has a he has a shot. Um, we're going to have to do this again before the draft. We're going to do it sooner than that. Every time we get on the podcast, we talk for an hour and a half because – we can't stop talking once we get on the podcast. For sure. Tony, tell the people what you've got coming up. Uh, I've got playoff coverage coming up. Um, just so much jazz coverage, you know, just, you know, for as long as the jazz remain alive, uh, keep, keep, uh, keep me in your thoughts and read whatever, uh, I, I have coming out and thank you guys for being, uh, readers. Thank you for being loyal to Sam's podcast. Check out my podcast game notes, me and Zach Harper. Uh, we record weekly, but now we're recording, uh, bi-weekly now to, with the playoffs. Um, you know, so yeah, those are all of the shameless plugs that I have. Go follow Tony, uh, T Jones on the NBA. He is terrific. He's a great person, a great friend, and I'm very glad that he came on and joined us. We'll be back next week. Uh, I'm going to have Matt Penny on at some point to talk about the NBA draft. I'm going to have a few more guests, I think, next week, probably to preview some of these playoff series. But until next time, we'll talk soon.